Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. We're back. Everybody. Hello, Michael. Hello, Matthew. Hello, everybody. Uh, sorry for the short hiatus, but uh, we've been really busy teaching and doing research and doing... Radio. Radio, yeah. We're on ABC Radio. That's why I posted up a couple of those episodes in the interim. Um, we've been also trying to organize a number of people, experts in the field, for us to interview about certain uh, topics so that you don't just have our or especially Matt's droning voice going on and on and on about something you don't really give a crap about. So, Matt, today we're going to talk about the pancreas. What do you think? Pancreas. So, what does pancreas mean? Pan, all. Yeah. Creas, flesh. All flesh. Yeah. So, uh, another derivative of this name is sweet bread. Why? Sweet bread. No, I heard you, but why, <laughs> why is it sweet bread? Uh, I think compared to all the other flesh that one might eat from an animal, yeah, it tastes relatively sweeter. Ah. And bread, I think, in in terms of the old English term, which is slightly different to the spelling that we we use now, mm. means flesh. So it just really? means sweet flesh. Oh, okay. Other other organs also apparently taste sweet, like other glandular tissue, like the parotid gland. Have you ever eaten a parotid gland? So that's the salivary gland next to the ear. Yeah. <laughs> yes. No. Not, not, I haven't commonly... Uh, it's not It's not part of my um, diet okay. at the moment. It's not your first the, choice at a butcher. No, but the pancreas is basically like a salivary gland, right? It yeah. has many um, structural histological characteristics similar to a salivary gland. Okay. Well, let's talk about that then. Well, let's before we talk about that, let's keep talking about the history of the, uh, oh. the pancreas because you the, got more history. Well, yeah, I do because the pancreas has been known about since about 300 BC. Has it? But its function has been a point of contention for hundreds and hundreds of years since. So some thought that what the pancreas did was it looked after the surrounding blood vessels. Some thought it was a cushion for the stomach. That's fair enough. That's fair enough. It looks pretty gross in, it in situ. Stomach. Have you seen? A pancreas actually in the human situ. It's a quite a pathetic looking 
organ. Doesn't look yeah. that much. Do you know why like it looks like that? Partly why it's because it's non non encapsulated. So compared to kidney and stomach and all the other viscera, it doesn't really have anything wrap it up. Why? Well, Do you know it's why? it's uh, retroperitoneal for sta- behind for starters. The cavity. Yeah. yeah, the only part that is intraperitoneal, so in the abdominal cavity, is the tail, which goes in with the spleen. So it moves through the peritoneum. Yeah. Well, it doesn't. I think it's just different folds. The folds get oh. complicated, but too complicated for me, right? It's hard to describe without a picture. Let's say. Fair enough. Well, so they said that potentially a cushion for the stomach, since it sits underneath the stomach. Uh, but it was only until the 1600s. So pancreas was known about from 300 BC, but it was only the 1600s where they discovered that the pancreas actually secreted some juices into the intestines. Oh, right. Uh, but they still didn't even know what these juices did. It took another 200 years to identify what these juices were there for and what these juices comprised of. Uh, they discovered that the juices were there to break down fats, proteins, carbohydrates, so those three macronutrients. And, funnily enough, the first hormone ever to be discovered was due to the pancreas and the hormone secretin, which we'll talk about shortly, um, which was identified to stimulate the pancreas to release these particular juices. And that was the reason for its name? Secretin, that's right. First hormone to be discovered. And at least five Nobel Prizes have been awarded due to research about or um, associated with the pancreas. Right. Well, Pretty since, important. You're, since you're on this historical endeavor... I'm done now. <laughs> so let's move I on. was going to do this later. Right, let's move on. I was going to do this later, yeah. but since you're kind of with all these obscure dates, I thought I'd just continue on with all it. Right. So around the 1850s, the pancreas was discovered for the place to somehow regulate blood sugar levels. Okay. And so they realized that if you pulled these things out, in this case from the dog... What do you mean these things? Pancreas. Pancreas, yeah. yeah. Um, the dog would display symptoms similar to humans' diabetes. Well, they didn't really know necessarily what it was all about, I guess. So what's the link between the pancreas and diabetes? Um, well, in the 1850s, they weren't sure. But essentially, it's going to be insulin, right? So you're saying that they took the pancreas out of dogs mm-hmm. and they looked like diabetic patients. <laughs> they started to display symptoms like a diabetic human did. Which would be drifting Pro- into a coma. <laughs> Eventually. Yeah. Probably urinating a lot, drinking a lot, probably in the early stages, starting to go into different levels of... Um, Sweet pea. <laughs> whether, they, whether they drank it or not, it's another story. Um so that was around the 1850s. Then you had a, a, uh, a German uh, medical student uh, in the ni- uh, 1869 Best. who... Um, that was his surname, Best. He, no, I don't think so. He yes, it was, wasn't it? No. He, he found, through histological staining, yeah. um, little islands within the pancreas, which was different to the asini. Okay. Um, which, which you can ex- which yet. you can explain in a second, yep. and these islet cells um, were deduced to be that function for the um, blood glucose, and his name was Paul Langerhan. Uh-huh. And so he, I've heard that name before. So he named obviously the Langerhan cells, yeah. which we'll get to in a second. But they are essentially for uh, Charles Best was the name of that medical student. Was a different medical student. <laughs> <laughs> well, they play all medical students all this stuff. 
Um, so kind of like your students. Your your students do all your research for I'm you. I'm saying that the medical student who discovered that you could take the pancreas out and isolate and deliver. Oh, yeah, we'll get to that. Oh, sorry, but I'm just talking about sorry, the sorry, islet, islet cells. Okay. Okay. And so that was in 1869. 1920, they started to isolate um, the juice from these islet cells. And so they called them isolatin. Now, this is different Islatine. to the juice that I was Yeah, that's about right. This before. is this is endocrinal based. Yeah. Okay. Probably wouldn't call it juice. Oh, well, it probably, it probably looked like it at that point. So then they renamed it to insulin. So it started with islatin or isolatin. Uh, and then they decided maybe insulin was better, in, insula within. Mm-hmm. Um, and they kind of refined that extract from the dog, dog pancreas. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> not the dog. <laughs> <laughs> I hope not. <laughs> and then around the 1920-22, so this is about two years later, they decided to get it from a calf rather than, um, not not the lower leg, um, <laughs> the, the baby cow. Okay. And they... Then got this extract, and then they went to a hospital with it. Mm. And so what? So this is these are a few different researchers now. Th- this was Frederick um, Benton and John McLeod. Okay. They're Canadians. Yeah. And so they went to a child, a child, a, a children's ward. I was going to say child's ward, children's ward, children's hospital. Now before that, that's getting a bit tongue-tied today. Before that, um, you could suppose that if you had type one diabetes, you weren't going to live very long. Okay, you would um, have all these symptoms and then eventually go into a coma and die. Yeah. So, um, it, the outlook wasn't very good. So, in this ward, the whole ward was full of comatized children. So, they had that calf extract. From which, the pancreas. Which was the islatin or the insulin. Yeah. And they just started injecting to the children. They changed the needle. <laughs> Not sure. <laughs> uh, and they just w- walking down the ward. As they got towards the end of the ward, yeah. the first patients, first children, injection were, for you, injection for you, injection were waking for up. You. So they started waking up. The first child started waking up as it got to the end of the ward. Yeah. And then about a year later, medical miracle. The two Canadians got the Nobel Prize. Wow. And so essentially, from the 1920s onwards, insulin was the savior of type one diabetes. And did you know from 1922 when that actually occurred? Mm. The, the story that you just stated, one year went by before it was internationally available, which wow. is one of the fastest translation, like bedside, um, mm, bench clinical bedside um, medical transitions. Yeah, it's amazing. Mm. So I think an important point to bring up here is that what we've highlighted from what I said with the production of pancreatic juices to break down proteins, fats, and carbohydrates, and for the certain types of juices that contain insulin, for example, to regulate blood sugar, is that the pancreas actually plays two very important roles, one of which is called an exocrine role. Which means? So exocrine means to release juices into, I think, surrounding cavities. So what's crine? Crine conversation? Crying, crying. Crying. So exo, outside, endo, within. There you go. Does it actually mean crying? I think so. Well, I hope so. I <laughs> Still crying, but the exo goes into a duct. Yeah. Endo goes into a blood vessel. There you go. So, mm. so the pancreas has an exocrine role where, where it releases these chemicals, which are the chemicals to break down proteins, fats, and carbohydrates, and? into certain ducts. 
and bicarbonate ions and oh, water as well. Nucleic acids as well. Right. Um, and then also plays an endocrine role, which means it releases a hormone or hormones such as insulin and glucagon into the bloodstream. So the pancreas plays two extremely important roles. For such a tiny little critter, being around about 15 to 20 centimetres long, weighing around about 80 or so grams, looking like a tadpole, okay. sitting within the, the C shape of the duodenum, which is the first part of the small intestine mm-hmm. that comes straight out of the stomach. Yep. Um, with its... So what, what level are we at? So it's sitting behind the stomach? Sitting below but behind the stomach. Yeah, so it's um, probably about level L1. Yeah. So it's kind of part of it would be a kidney height. Mm-hmm. Okay. It's, as I said, it's retroperitoneal in, in its majority. Mm-hmm. So that part of the duodenum that it's kind of cupped within, mm-hmm. it's um, retro, so it's behind, so it's deep. Yeah. Um, the surgeons call it the lion of the abdomen. The lion. The lion. Like the, like, yeah. Oh. It's Why? Because it's the king in the abdomen. In one, what sense? Like the king of the jungle. Uh, can't live without it. Not going to do well without it. Gotcha. And uh, if you piss it off, yeah. it's going to cause a lot of problems. And remember, it's not encapsulated. It's yeah. So, easy um, so if you uh, cause trauma to it yeah. or damage it or irritate it, it can spill... It's guts out everywhere. Wow. Into the guts, literally. Spill its guts into the guts. It's still like a meta and gut so, spilling. Yeah. And so, if you... Particularly the exocrine stuff. Yeah. So, all those um, enzymes systems. that you spoke about. Mm-hmm. If you spill those out into everything, you're essentially going to just eat holes into all your organs. True. That's a good point. Mm. It's going to break down the proteins, fats, carbohydrates, which basically break everything. Everything. Close everything. Yeah, right? yeah. Including itself, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, should we talk about um, where these juices sit? What cells the juices sit within, how they're released? Should we talk about the ducts okay. that are connected to the pancreas and so forth? All right. So, the three main cells within the pancreas mm-hmm. are the acinar, yeah, which are like little... How would you describe them? I'd say they're collections of pyramid-shaped cells that are arranged uh, in a, a radius, like the like around um, a circle. Okay. And they release their contents into a cavity that sits right in the middle. So you can think of them if you take a bike tire, as though the actual oh, yeah. rubber of the bike tire are the cells. Okay. And so they release cells? their contents right into the middle where the spokes are. And okay. that's an empty cavity. Okay, and that's the next type of cell, the, the ductal cells. The ductal cells. And so they, uh, they create a duct-like system. Yes. To carry that as fluids. Yeah, into in the main duct of the pancreas. Yeah, so into the intestine, essentially. Well, ultimately. So yeah. it'll carry, carry these fluids from the acinar mm-hmm. into these ductals, which are smaller ducts, which then connect up to the pancreatic duct which then squirts it into the duodenum, which is mm. the first part of the small intestines. Right. And so, and the, the third type is the isolate cells, which is the islet of Langerhans cells. And they can be... Um, Dispersed throughout? Yeah. Maybe not homogenized no. completely. They might be in distinct areas. But they are... It is a composite, composite 
gland. Yes. And of these, you've got alpha and beta cells and actually some other cell types, but mainly alpha and beta, which are Delta. And delta. But alpha and beta are important. I think we'll focus on just those two. Beta holds insulin and produces insulin and alpha uh, glucagon. Yeah. And so now I think what we'll do, and I'll just pull up a picture because I think it's easy for me to look at it and describe. Yeah. While I'm finding that picture, um, can you quickly describe the kind of the duct system? Sure. So, if you think about having the pancreas sitting in that C shape of the duodenum, it's going to have a couple of ducts. So, I told you that you're going to have these small ducts that are attached to the acinar cells and they collect the pancreatic juices, which then send it to the pancreatic duct, which squirts it into the small intestines, specifically the duodenum. But it also connects up, before it goes into the duodenum, it connects up with the what's called the common bile duct. Now, the common bile duct, if you to trace it, goes up superiorly and is connected to both the gallbladder and the liver. Now, this common bile duct is there because it carries bile from the gallbladder and from the liver. And so what happens is that the pancreatic juices from the pancreas squirt down the pancreatic duct, the bile squirts down the common bile duct, and they come together at a part called the ampulla of the pancreas, or the pancreatic ampulla, previously known as the uh, ampulla of Vata, and then moves through a little sphincter called the sphincter of Odi into the duodenum. So this is where those two substances come together, the pancreatic juices and the bile. Hmm. You okay with that? Yeah. So... Just to add one more point to that. Now, I won't go into much detail with this. Hope not. Because uh, I know how much everyone likes my embryology. Mm. So, the pancreas actually develops in two parts. Here we go. Okay. So, the the duodenum is the gut tube that we spoke about previously, right? And coming off the gut tube at the duodenum level is two herniations. One that goes to the back, so that's dorsal. I want to go to the front. That's ventral. Okay. This so is off the duodenum. This is off the duodenum. And so they get two little herniated pipes. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, one will eventually grow as the liver on the ventral side. But as it's going up to grow in the liver, it's, it's dragging a big long pipe up with it. Mm-hmm. Okay. As it's growing up, another little herniation pops out of that, which is going to be the ventral pancreas and the gallbladder. Okay. And off the back is the dorsal pancreas. So this is how all these ducts fit in. That's right. And so stretch around, stretch off from those herniations. So that ventral part, which is on the at the front with the liver, it then breaks away and swings around the back, where it meets up with the dorsal aspect of the pancreas. What does? The ventral part of the pancreas. Remember I said it. Well, the front of the pancreas meets the back of the pancreas. Well, it meets together in one. So the f- the front was this front chunk. What is it? So there were two separate pieces. Is that That's what you're saying? Two separate pieces. So the pancreas, which we know is one organ, originally was two separate Parts. pieces. Yeah, yeah. And they came together as like like two arms moving around to hug somebody. One comes from the front, one comes from the back, and then the hands meet kind on of. the other side. Yeah, yeah. So like those wanted... two pieces coming together like yeah. that. And so because the ventral, the front part, has come with the liver, okay, it's going to have the bile duct with it. Yeah. Okay, so it's going to swing and bring the bile duct around with it, okay, 
And so that part of the pancreas, which is probably the head of the pancreas with the uncanut process, which is that um, the head of the tadpole that you spoke about, mm. um, that is from the ventral part, okay? And so that's got the duct from the gallbladder with it, okay? And so that then all inserted into the duodenum as what we call the big duct, okay, or the big hole, which is the major duodenal papilla, okay? Now, the original part, which was the one of the dorsal part, okay, it had its own duct, okay, and it will join the, the new one, but a bit of it will continue off to a much higher part or a much more superior part of the duodenum. Now, that's important because before you chuck in the bile, which comes a bit lower down, and with that goes the lipases, which is the fatty um, enzymes, before you chuck that into the duodenum, what do you want to do to the stomach content that's just been released into the duodenum? Uh, you probably want to neutralize the acid. Perfect. And so the top duct, which came from the original dorsal section, is predominantly bicarbonate. And that's the what we still? call... Yeah, still. And that's called the accessory duct. Okay? And that and that's important because that's the top section that will probably release off mostly bicarbonate and neutralize the stomach. And then once it's moved down probably only a couple of centimeters, it's now neutralized enough to then release not only bile, which has come from the liver and and gallbladder, released from the gallbladder, uh, it's now dropping off all its enzymes like the protolytic, the lipolytic and the amylytic. Sure. Does that all make sense? In a yeah, to a degree it does, yeah. And that kind of explains why you have those two holes in the duodenum from the pancreas. An accessory hole, mm. which is the minor duodenal papilla, and the bigger hole, the major papilla. And that's got the two things in it, the major papillary duct or pancreatic duct, and the colon bile duct, which you explained. Okay. Sounds good. So so I'm not sure if that confused everyone more. I but just, uh, no, I don't know. It was fine. I mean, I don't know where I am right now, but uh, it was it was okay. All right, so that's kind of the anatomy, um, with a bit of touch of physiology, I guess. Where do you think we should continue on there? Okay, I want to tell a story. All right, this is a new. Okay, I've just given Matt a bite of my cheeseburger. He's taken a couple of. Big old chews, not too many because Matt eats predominantly like a duck, and swallows it and brings it down his gullet or down his esophagus. No, gullets. That's gullets correct now, for a bird. So, th- firstly, it's in his mouth and he's chewing. Now, while he's chewing, his salivary glands release some enzymes. Now, these enzymes are predominantly amylase. Now, what amylase, what does amylase break down, Matt? Um, amylase is for carbohydrates. Okay, so the mouth releases salivary amylases, breaking down carbohydrates into their simple sugars. Then, Matt swallows, and again, this food stuff's moving down until it gets to the stomach. Now, in the stomach, you've got hydrochloric acid, which was spoken about, which denatures proteins, which means it just unfolds them. And we've got pepsin, which is an enzyme, which breaks down what, Matt? Um, it helps to start the protein breakdown. Yes, they're molecular scissors that help chop up proteins. So what did I just eat? A cheeseburger. Okay, right. so the protein of the cheeseburger. Mm-hmm. So, so far, from the mouth to the stomach, you've broken down 
Carbohydrates. So that's the bun. You've broken down proteins. Okay, so that's the meat on the yeah cheeseburger. Now, what's the third macronutrient that we haven't touched yet? The cheese. With <laughs> that's, that is a macronutrient. True. The fat. The fat. Okay, so so far most of it's been broken down. Well, a, a good amount's been broken down, but not the fat. So then it goes from the stomach, and the stomach will slowly squeeze it through its muscular contractions through the pyloric sphincter into the duodenum, the first part of the small intestines. So what's coming into the small intestines is digested or partially digested carbohydrates, partially digested proteins, but not digested fats. All right. Now what happens here is that the movement of all this chyme, which is what it's called when it comes from the stomach, stimulates some cells that line the wall of the small intestines or duodenum. And stimulating this releases some hormones. Now, these hormones include secretin and cholecystokinin, also known as CCK. So, why is it called that? Choly, because... Well, let me tell you in a second. Like cauliflower? Not cauliflower, but I'll tell you why it's choly in a second. So, what these two hormones do, because they're hormones, they're released into the bloodstream and they float around the bloodstream. Now, what they do is they will ultimately get to the pancreas via the bloodstream, one way or another. Now, secretin is going to, or let's say cholecystokinin, goes to the acinar cells and tells them to release their pancreatic juices. And so the acinar cells have now released proteases to break down proteins, amylases to break down carbohydrates, and lipases to break down fats into the pancreatic duct. Agreed? Yep. All right. What's also happened is that the secretin has told the ductal cells, which you spoke about, to release bicarbonate ions. Okay. So now bicarbonate ions released as well. So the ductal cells make the bicarbonate, not Correct. the acinar cells. That's right. Right. And all of this is squirted in from the pancreas by the pancreatic duct through the sphincter of Odi into the duodenum. So what that means is now the proteases can continue to break down the proteins. The amylase continue to break down the carbohydrates. But the lipases now, which are molecular scissors, need to break down the fats. But unfortunately, fat, as you know, when you cook on a pan, loves to come together in big fat globules. And it's very hard with some molecular scissors to cut big fat globules. We need to break it up into smaller, more manageable pieces. So what do we need to come in as well? We need to contract the gallbladder. Yes, to release? Its contents. Which is? (laughs) Bile. Bile, which will continue down the bile duct, into the duodenum as well. Where? Which through what hole? Through the sphincter of Odi. That's the sphincter. But the hole is the major duodenal papilla, which I explained embryologically why. Okay. This is stimulated. The contraction of the gallbladder to do this is stimulated by that cholecystokinin, CCK. So cholecystokinin is actually referring to... Kinin means movement or contraction. Choly... What's Collie referring to? Cholecyst is the gallbladder. That's right. So it's contraction of the gallbladder. So cholecystitis also does. Cholecystitis is inflammation of the gallbladder. Cholecystectomy is removal of the gallbladder. Mm. So that means that secretin tells the ductal cells to release bicarbonate. CCK, cholecystokinin, tells the acinar cells to release the pancreatic juices. Well, that makes sense. It makes sense sense now because in a condition known as cystic fibrosis, Mm -hmm. um, bicarbonate secreted, I think, with... Uh, the movement of sodium 
uh, one way and chloride the other. Yeah, is that right? right? Yep. And that's a transporter, CTR, which is the whole name. CTFR. CTFR. Yeah. So, cystic fibrosis transporter. Mm-hmm. That becomes dysfunctional. Yeah. And it becomes sludgy. Yep. Very viscous. And then, therefore, it doesn't drop its kind of very watery contents out. Mm-hmm. And all those um, enzymes that you spoke about stay in the duct mm-hmm. and become activated. Correct. So this is something that we was just about to talk about is that those enzymes that are released. So let me just jump back a sec. The bile's now been released. And what the bile does is it emulsifies, which means just like a detergent, it just breaks up these big fat globules. So in Australia, it's like morning fresh liquid. Yes. Same colour too, right? Uh, yeah. Like that greeny, greeny yellowy fluoro green stuff. Yeah. Emulsifies the fat, so it's more manageable. More manageable for the lipase, which are the molecular scissors to chop it up. So that means by the time we've hit the duodenum, we've broken down carbs we're bro- in the mouth, proteins partially in the stomach, and fats in the duodenum. And all three in the duodenum as well, mm. because the pancreas releases all three enzymes. Now the important point is that when these enzymes are released by the ACNS cells in the pancreas, they are inactive. Right, so they've got ogens at the end. Exactly right. Now, people are going, what the hell are you talking about? When you release specifically the enzymes for breaking down the proteins, such as, so these proteases, the enzymes that break down proteins, some important ones are trypsinogen, chymotrypsinogen, and precarboxypolypeptidase. The two most important ones and most common are trypsinogen and chymotrypsinogen. And like you just said, O-G-E-N. If it ends in O-G-E-N, it means it's stored and inactive. That's mm. what that suffix means. So it needs to be snipped off. Something needs to chop off O-G-E-N, which means it turns trypsinogen into so trypsin, chymotrypsinogen into chymotrypsin. So when it's released by the acinocells, cells, they're in this inactive form. So why? Why would we need it to remain in its, inac- in, its in inactive form in the pancreas? Well, I mean, because the pancreas is essentially tissue, which would be um, basically the same or not too dissimilar from that meat patty in the um, cheeseburger. That's right. It, you've just those, digested. Those enzymes wouldn't be able to, to discern or distinguish between a cheeseburger patty and your own pancreas. And it would auto-digest the pancreas, mm. resulting in a cascade of inflammatory events, which is called pancreatitis. Right, which is just inflamed pancreas. That's right, with some localized complications. Now, once these inactive enzymes have made it to the duodenum, they stimulate some more cells called enteroendocrine cells. Hmm. And these enteroendocrine cells release something called enterokinase. And what enterokinase does is this. It chops the O-G-E-N off trypsinogen. Oh, so that does it. So it activates now trypsin. And now trypsin, being activated, and being a protease, can chop off the OGEN off chymotrypsinogen and activate that. And now it's activated a whole cascading event to activate all these enzymes so they can now, in the duodenum, break down these foodstuffs. So that lipases as well, and amylase as well. That's right. Okay. Interesting, huh? Mm, Very. So... Do you want to talk about how these can be activated in the pancreas to form pancreatitis, or is there something else you want to talk about first? Oh, 
Not, not, not necessarily. Just an interesting point that came to my mind, which will definitely won't concern you or have any care factor for you. But that <laughs> that point where cool. yeah, I don't care about what we're talking that, about. That um, that big duodenal papilla, that big one where you just secrete all the stuff out. Yeah. That's the demarcation point between the foregut and the midgut. Isn't that interesting? <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I told you wouldn't care. You're, you're right. You're right. <laughs> Look, I'm sure there's someone out there that just went, wow. That's awesome. Thanks, Matt. Well, the blood the blood supply changes now. I now doing medicine or nursing, apparently. The blood supply changes. So there's new blood supplies. It's From where to where? Well, because it's mid-gut, it's a different part of the... Uh, the gut tube, so it's supplied by a different blood vessel. So now, so the pancreas is supplied by two separate. Correct. See, now you like it. Okay, yeah, we're getting there. Yeah. Now, should we talk about pancreatitis? Well, let's just quickly finish off with the um, the main diseases. So, the so pa- go for oh well, uh, the condition. So, well, we've the, already done an episode on on diabetes. So the pancreas doesn't have a huge amount of things that go wrong with it, but saying that the things that do go wrong are quite devastating. Yeah. So the big things that affect the pancreas, at least the main ones, are the pancreatitis. So that could be acute or chronic. Mm-hmm. Um, the, probably the biggest, probably, uh, is type one diabetes. Mm-hmm. Okay, and um, cancer. You reckon type one's bigger than type two? Well, it's, oh, it's no, I mean bigger than, issue. Gotcha. No, I mean it's bigger than probably um, pancreatitis. Pancreatitis. Forty million in the world. For Pan- type one. Type one, yeah. Do you think it's bigger than pancreatitis? Even though I read pancreatitis, pancreatitis is... Pancreatitis can affect 50 in every 100,000 people. So, probably not. Okay. I'd oh, say well. pancreatitis is probably more common. Um, then you've got your pancreatic ductal adenocarcinoma, which is the most f- common cancer of the pancreas. Not good. And then the other one, last kind of disease is cystic fibrosis, which we kind of spoke about. it. Genetic disease. Yeah, so I'll just give a quick rundown of type 1 diabetes and then you can... Do your pancreatitis. Go for it. So, essentially, type 1 diabetes is where you have a complete destruction of the islet cells, but more specifically, the beta cells. So, generally speaking, it's a an immune-driven destruction. So, it's you've got the immune system that, for some reason, uh, becomes destructive to those beta cells and kills them all off to a point where there's... No, none remaining. Okay. And so... So they're not producing insulin. Then. There's no insulin anymore. And so we kind of spoke about what happens when you have them. So, yeah, to, to go to the specifics of insulin, maybe just go back to the podcast on when we did diabetes. Yeah. But essentially, the issue with type 1 is we just don't have in, any insulin at all. So I think you, once you've got about an 80% destruction of the beta cells, then the signs will start to come out. Yeah. Main problems being tired, lethargic can't get sugar into your cells and it remains in your blood Love you pe- pee a lot drink a lot eat a lot yeah. uh, and if it doesn't loss. doesn't manifest then you could go into a, a dangerous diabetic keto, keto acidotic state yeah um, so that's really it I mean the, the biggest treatments for type 1 is artif- artificial insulin mm. some of the cool things they're currently looking at um, they've created this um, polymer, which is like a plastic, okay, and it becomes um, human. It, it it changes its structure when it comes into contact with glucose, and so what they do is they put a gel of insulin inside it, and then they implant this plastic, 
this polymer in, into your body, usually near the liver. And then once it in, comes in contact with glucose, it becomes permeable. And so it's basically like a synthetic pancreas. Kind of, yeah. And, the, and that, that insulin gel starts to fuse, okay. diffuse out. Wow, that's and cool. It, and they've orientated or created it in a way that its permeability is directly um, related to the amount of glucose. Like glucose. So the more that's glucose, awesome. the more permeable. The more. Which is exactly how the pancreas works with insulin. So it's early stages, but they're, they're doing it. It's been successful in pigs. Wow. Um, so that's really cool. The other one, which I'll mention and I'll shut up, is yeah. um, they've done. This is more your area because you're a geneticist. Yeah, I would say they've, <laughs> they've got a kind of a crossbreed between a rat and a mouse. So is this called a chimeric? A, a, a chimeric? Is that the correct term? A, a chimeric? 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 So it's a chimera. Yeah. So it's a cross, kind of a cross rodent. So yeah. half mouse, half half man. No, half mouse, half rat. Gotcha. Is that correct? Chimeric? Yeah, maybe. So it's kind of got cells of both in it. Okay, yes. Is that right? Yes. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So what they do is they get the rat. This is the in the rat form. Okay. And they get the mouse pancreatic... They change its form. No, no. The, so the, the, the vector, or I don't know what the best term is, the, the one that they're going to do the um, manipulation on, okay, is the, is the rat. Okay, but they get mouse stem cells and they put it into where the pancreas is developing okay. of the rat. Okay, but then they give chemicals to stop the normal rat pancreas to develop, and so the rat develops essentially a mouse pancreas. So why would they want to do that? Because then they take the mouse pancreas out of the rat and put it into mouse diabetics or diabetic mouse mice mice, <laughs> <laughs> and that solves their diabetes. Cause Why wouldn't they just do it with a mouse? I'm not sure. <laughs> it just sounds a bit like... Maybe there's something that the rat can do better than the mouse. I'm not sure. Interesting. But that's fairly fairly new research as well. And that's I just thought that was kind of cool. It is cool. Um, that's it for me in insulin and diabetes. So, you want to finish up on pancreatitis? And okay. Then Let's, we'll just talk about acute pancreatitis. So, like I said, with pancreatitis... It can basically be, basically be defined as an uh, inflammatory state of the pancreas in which the enzymes that have been released are auto-degrading the pancreas and resulting in some local um, complications. So, for example, the two major reasons why this would happen is one, destruction of the acinar cells. If you're breaking those acinar cells up, you're releasing all the pancreatic juices and these sitting there in the pancreas can be stimulated to be activated and then break down the pancreas. Number two, a blockage of the ductal cells, uh, sorry, a blockage of the ducts and this results in a backlog and an increase in the pancreatic juices and again... So what are blocking the most common blockage? So, for example, the, so the most common cause of these two things, right? Destruction of the acinar and the blockage of the ductal cells. First one is the most common cause is blockage of the ductal cells just got to stop saying ductal cells. Blockage of the ducts by gallstones. Okay, which has come up from the gallbladder. That's right. Came so down the bile duct and then got lodged in somewhere. So between 40 and 70% of acute pancreatitis cases, it's due to gallstones. Okay, it's a lot. Not big gallstones, because big gallstones are going to get caught up. Probably on the on duct, higher by, up. By duct. 
That's mm. right. Bile duct, maybe cystic duct. It needs to be caught down at around the area of the where the pancreatic duct meets the comes in. That's right. The the, the ampulla. Exactly. So that means it needs to be less than about five millimeters in, in diameter in order for that to get stuck. Okay, so but while this makes up forty to seventy percent of cases of acute pancreatitis, less than seven percent of people with gallstones actually get pancreatitis. So they're oh, not okay. actually sure they know that gallstones are the most common cause, but they really don't know what the actual mechanism is. They said they they state that well if you remove these gallstones and you remove the associated ducts as well, it drastically reduces the incidence of acute pancreatitis. So there's the link there. But it doesn't fully reduce acute pancreatitis. Well, so they don't fully understand the role that the gallstones okay. play. And also some of the sludge as well could block it too. So that's the major reason. The second most common cause is alcohol and alcohol abuse. So does that annoy the ACNR cells? So what that does, so 25 to 35% of cases of acute pancreatitis is due to alcohol abuse. Okay. Now this isn't binging. So binging on alcohol doesn't seem to result in acute pancreatitis, at least not often. But abu- chronic abuse does okay. so over time. And there's a couple of suggestions or, or hypotheses or theories as to how they think this works. So one, alcohol seems to stimulate the amount or increase the amount of pancreatic juices produced. Two, Could that be increases from the, from the secretin? Uh, no, I think directly actually. I think oh. directly because the pancreas actually helps metabolize ethyl alcohol. So e- does ethanol, it? yeah. In addition to what the liver does, wow. so the pancreas does that. Um, and so it increases the amount of pancreatic juices and also increases the viscosity of the pancreatic juices, which means increases the likelihood to form what's called um, uh, pancreatic stones. So you can c- get stones from the pancreatic juice, but also protein plugs, which can block the ducts. As well, wow. uh, but alcohol also increases fatty acid degradation at the ACNR cells, and this results in oxidative stress, which results in necrosis, which also results in downstream inflammatory effects, which then results in a whole bunch of issues. Right? And then ultimately, in either case, you're releasing these enzymes, and they're just remaining in the kidney. It's sorry, in the pancreas. That's right. For women, gallstones are the most common. For males, alcohol is the most common. Overall, gallstones most common. Alcohol is second most common. Third most common is something called hypertriglyceridemia. So lots of triglyceride in your blood. Yeah. So more, and what that basically is saying is similar to what I was saying with the alcohol is that increased fatty acid degradation mm. in the pancreas, which results in uh, lipotoxicity and reactive oxygen species and inflammation and then necrosis and so forth. There you go. Fourth most common is endoscopic retrograde cholangio. What is it? Ography. Pancreo- pancreatography. Okay, so retro. What's that again? Endoscopic so retrograde. Backwards. Yeah. Colli. Gallbladder. Angio. Blood vessel. Pancreography. Taking a photo of the pancreas? <laughs> Basically. So what it is, um, the pancreatography is referring to the fact that they're viewing, using a camera and some radiographic dye, they're viewing the ducts. Down the mouth, through yeah. the stomach, um, duodenum, 
then sticking it up the uh, pancreatic yes. duct and then and viewing the fiddling ducts. around. That's right. And so th- this is to see whether there's gallstones, see whether there are tumors or cancers or whether there's any um, strictures or scarring that's occurred. Now, what can happen is during this process, you can damage the pancreas itself. And this direct damage or trauma can result in pancreatitis. All right. And there's other causes, drugs, trauma, um, genetic aberrations. Scorpion venom. Scorpion venom. I just was just threw that out there. So how didn't does that even, work? Didn't even know that. How does that work? Um, so Mortal Kombat um, <laughs> fighter. Okay, called... increases the amount of pancreatic juices that the pancreas produces and tells the sphincter of OD to close up. Okay. So this is the very end of that pancreatic duct that goes into the duodenum. All right. All right. And it's just done. Really We're quickly, you, you did mention cancer, so I'll just say what pancreatic cancer is the most common. Yeah. The most common pancreatic cancer is what we call the pancreatic ductal adenocarcinoma. All right. So 96% of all pancreatic cancers is, is this type. Mm-hmm. 80 to 90% of um, cases with this are irresectable. So surgical options is not possible. So why? Why is that? Uh, by the time it's diagnosed, it's... it's Past stage four, okay. so stage can't four go past stage four. Elsewhere, elsewhere in the body. Um, so just to give you some idea. In America, because this is the stats that I could find, forty-six thousand new cases every year mm. of this type of cancer, and forty thousand deaths. So that's basically telling you it's close to one in one. So Jeez. for a so cancer of about the twelfth most common cancer, so approximately two point eight percent of cancers, it's the fourth biggest killer. So, the five-year survival rate's about 7%. So, if you want to take a silver lining from that stat, it's that we've done pretty well for being able to treat the other cancers. Mm. Yeah, but, I guess so. But pancreatic cancer, we're, we're just really... So, it's a hard one. Form. presents with pain, weight loss, possibly jaundice, because you're going to get that backflow of the um, bile back into the liver and cause you to build it up. Yeah. yeah. Um, the, if you were to get surgical treatment, because it's a ductal cancer, it's generally going to involve the head of the pancreas. And so, interestingly, they do a technique called a Whipple technique. And so, they pull the head off the pancreas and almost inject the ducts straight into the duodenum. So, they cut the duodenum uh, and almost inject the pancreas straight into the duodenum. So, so kind of... Sit it in there. Almost. And then they bring the um, the bile duct down into the same part. So you get in all the kind of uh, juices into the top part of the pancreas. And then they put the stomach in a bit lower on. So that's, that's got a whipple. They're so they rearrange the whole GLT. Yeah, they, they pull a few things off, but then rearrange it. you got to be amazing to perform those mm. operations. So there's the pancreas in 45 minutes. Was that 45 minutes? Yeah. That's probably one of the shortest ones we've done. Good on us. All right. Any final yeah, housekeeping again, points? I am. I need to. There's a number of emails that I've received, and I'm going to be responding to them very shortly. So I do apologise if you've sent us an email and I haven't responded. Um, I do try and respond as quickly as possible, but like I said, we've been on a bit of a hiatus. You can contact us via email: gubiosciences at gmail dot com. You can contact us on Twitter. Um. Mickey Todd, M-I-C-K-E-Y-T-O-D. That's on Twitter. And Matt is Dr. Bartox, D-R-B-A-R-T-O-X on Twitter. You can also just follow the podcast on Twitter at G-U Biosciences. Uh, apart from that, we do have a Facebook page. 
look at Dr. Matt, Dr. Mike's medical podcast. Say hi to us. Uh, if you like the podcast, please give us a five-star rating. If you don't like it or you think it's average or pretty much okay, just, <laughs> just, just, don't, just don't give us any rating. Pretty much okay. Um, tell your friends. We'll, um, tell your friends that we exist. Not as people, but as a podcast. And um, we, we endeavor to put a survey out soon-ish. So, Do we? Yeah, or at least in the YouTube one. Because uh, we'd like to see you know, what works for you, what's not so great, how can we improve, maybe yeah. some topics. Tell us um, what you want us to talk about. Yeah. I mean, we can talk about whatever you want, AMP related and patho related. <laughs> Pretty much, I should, probably shouldn't say anything you want, but we've also got the YouTube channel. So if you are studying medicine or you're studying nursing, or you're studying paramedicine or the biological sciences in any way, shape or form, go to Dr. Matt and Dr. Mike's medical YouTube and... We've got about 250 videos on, Jesus, everything. Name it, it's there. That's it. Pancreas is there. Yes. <laughs> All right. See you guys. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.